shit in the boxes Stop it, stop it Quitting was never an option Welcome back to another Frame Voyager Ungraded podcast. I don't know if you guys saw in the news here recently, um, Canon's high-end box cinema camera patents that we had reported on last week or a couple weeks ago actually is true. And uh, uh, this article from YM Cinema Magazine confirmed it. They actually pulled it up, found it on the US patent list, and it looks just like the Red Komodo. And at this point, it seems like everyone's kind of jumping in to get this this high-end box cinema camera look. Um, you know, rumors of Blackmagic doing it, GoPro having to do it here um, recently, and uh, or essentially saying that they're going to make a professional camera, and now maybe Canon. Um, but I'm also here with Tim Butner, who's here to uh, kind of talk about this with me and get some of our impressions on what we think about this potential um, well, I don't think it's potential anymore. This boxed cinema camera from Canon that's coming out sometime soon. Well, that patent is very clear. They're doing it. And it's ironic yeah. considering you look at the fact that we talked about the fact that Komodo has the off mount. They made a deal with Canon to give Canon like raw light. And then basically hey, here we have basically shots fired from Canada, like, oh, we're coming after your Komodo and we're going to do our own version and it's going to have dual uh, pixel autofocus. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's so crazy. And I think this 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 sets a precedent. I mean, I, I for one, I don't love Canon. Um, they're, I don't love Canon RAW or their version of RAW. Maybe it's changing a little bit now with you know them working with RED, but this is a very interesting as far as features and something that you hear in community groups all the time of people want cinema cameras with autofocus in it and certain other features that are common in hybrid cameras like Sony, you know, the mirrorless cameras. So maybe yeah. maybe that the market research and stuff is really coming around that you know as much as people get flack in the group for always posting i want autofocus on my cinema camera and then you know all the people getting on on them about asking for that maybe maybe they're actually onto something there what do you think about that i think it's more that there's a market of people who want it and the camera companies are just more or less kind of providing it for them uh yeah, ultimately, though, I do have to say it is hilarious to see, like, oh, here this comes, and autofocus is technology that people want. So they ask for it, and especially for the gimbals. Like, the one-person shooter, gimbal people, yep. they love it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I guess, too, before we get too into this, I just, I, I, like, for those who haven't read this article, um, let me just give a quick some quick hits stuff of what exactly that you know they're saying is in this um so this design and you guys could go check this out at ysmcinema.com it's probably going to be one of their top stories looks just like the red komodo they have um showing things for external accessories it looks like there's going to be a display panel um it's there's potential at least in the patent for it to be controlled mobile or mobily um, through either, it looks like through at least Wi-Fi in some ways. Um, and there's some speculation on that fact that, and I think we talked about this in our last podcast, was that uh, potential for already being built in wireless mo video monitoring system inside this. Um, I mean, that, that two makes battery perfect sense. When you think about right? it, like uh, you, you, those com small, the Komodo needs it, like all of the small cameras need it. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's such a great a great feature. We'll we'll get back to that here in a second. Yeah. It has two two batteries. It looks like it has two battery ports. So, which would make it, I mean, if you can go back and forth between it and make replacing batteries on the go pretty easy without having to turn off the camera. I mean, hot swapping um, batteries is one of my favorite features of any camera when you can naturally do it. Like, you know, yep. with the Pocket 6K Pro, you have that nice battery grip. So you just take out two batteries. You have the internal battery still going and you just p- replace those batteries and put it back in and you're still going. So yep. that's always a nice thing. And yeah, when you can hot swap like on monitors that have those two battery ports, it's just like, oh, one battery is going, boom, swap it out and monitor's still on. Yeah, it's that's. I mean, it's a really nice feature to have, so you don't have to stop um, with whatever you're doing. If you're out in the field, and you don't have, you know, have a plug somewhere. Um, it looks like, of course, per usual. I mean, with a cinema camera, you'd want to see this nowadays. It has, it's gonna have built-in ND filters. I don't know if it's gonna be electronic like the 6K Pro is. I don't necessarily love the electronic one by the 6K Pro because mine already broke. Um, that's, but that's also because the airline dropped it on the tarmac. But I think it's, mm. yeah, I think the, I still like the mechanical ones. It feels like it, it would f- have a less chance of failing to me. I, I really do like the Sumini Pro one, but also because it's technically better internal ND anyways with the IO pollution control. Yep. Uh, but the Alexa kind of has one of those electronic type of ones. Uh I'm trying to think. Canon technically does have it in their C300 series, the Mark II and the Mark III for sure. I can't even remember the Mark One anymore. Um, and I've used the Mark One, so like, but yeah, I mean, they still did decent with those. So if it's the same type of principle, then it will work well on this little micro yeah. camera of theirs. Uh, let's see what else is in here. Um, heat dissipation mechanism, which is probably good for Canon. Maybe they learned their lesson after the uh, the R5. It was the R5s, right, that kept overheating? Yeah, the R5s were the overheating ones because they were trying to do 8K. Um, yeah. Whatever. I mean, like, why you need 8K and it's still photography cameras beyond me. But. So it's, it's looking like this is going to be, the sensor sees are going to be a CCD or a CMOS. Um, with dual pixel autofocus, I thought that was kind of interesting. But well, or I guess the sensor the, size is still going to be full frame or at least medium format. Yeah. As well, CCD though, ironically, this is the funny thing. When we went to CMOS, like CCD had better kind of rolling shot. It was almost closer to global shutter. Mm-hmm. And then we went to CMOS, which had better dynamic range, and there was a whole low light kind of aspect to it that was better. But like it's interesting that they're talking about going back to CCD because I remember like I did some wit pans way back when with a uh, crap what was that camera the JVC GYHD110U God <laughs> that number I I wish we never go back to the <laughs> naming structure but uh, that had a CCD and I remember it was mini DV tape but I remember doing some wit pans with that and it's like. You couldn't see rolling shadow. And then I started shooting on the EX1 and the EX3, and that was CMOS, and doing some whip pans. And it's like, oh, God, that rolling shadow is awful. Yep. Which is the problem you have with some of the pocket cameras, because, you know, especially the 6K Pro has not the best rolling shadow. I mean, it's manageable, but, you know, you get like the Ursa G2. It has rolling shadow. Like, it's funny because a lot of people think that the Ursa G2 actually has. 
um, global shutter. When it actually does have rolling shutter, it's just so good that you think it's global shutter. Well, the sense of readout speed is so close to what – because remember with motion picture film, it, mm-hmm. you had a rotating disc in there, which essentially was sort of like what rolling shutter is. Yes, film exposes like global shutter, but essentially because of the rotating disc in the motion picture film cameras, you had 180 degrees – open and then 180 degrees closed so that you know rotating disc essentially was going over the image very much from top to bottom very similar to so it, essentially if you look at some like old film shot stuff you can see slight kind of like jello like type of looks that look very similar to what you would with the G2 or the Alexa hmm yeah that's fascinating looking back even just like um, how, 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 you know, how some of the film stuff works or with shutter speed and shutter angle. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. It's, in, it's interesting that they have that would, they would be getting close to that on here or if they're putting global shutter, at least in here, I'm not sure if it talked about that. I do know that they talked about having a very high FPS. Um, I'm not sure approximately up to, let's see, 5k resolution mode, up to it looks like to 100 fps at 5k 4k up to 125 fps i mean that's that's decent um um and then the resolution of course i think we've already i'm not sure if we've hinted at this i don't know why i haven't said this I saw it it's was gonna 10K. be 8k I thought, was it 10k i thought i saw something about 10k in there i was like 8k and above yeah is what it says which is interesting um that is interesting as if you could get that you know this out of this smaller camera that's pretty good. And that's pretty much the features that they list off right here. So um, you want to start with that resolution, which you think, I guess we could start there and work our way back. Well, if they're going for full frame, this division size, which it sounds like they're going for that medium format is what they hint at, but it's probably really this division size because it's supposed to be cinema. Mm-hmm. If they go for 10K, you know, considering the Ursa Mini Pro is doing 12K currently yep. at Super 35, so if you go 10K, then, okay, you know, that seemingly makes sense because then at Super 35, you could maybe, it might be like an 8K, 7K resolution or depending on. Mm-hmm. So, and then as you're cropping down, because obviously for those higher frame rates, they're cropping in on the sensor. Thus, as a result, it makes sense. Like, oh, well, you know, half the sensor of the VistaVision full-frame sensor at 5K, you're going to get 100 frames per second. So, Yeah. yeah that's interesting. Yeah. I, I, and that's the uh, – it will be interesting to see how the different sensors do with it because I know Blackmagic used a different technology to get to the 12K and seems to have gotten around some of the problems maybe Canon and some of these others have of trying to use these – whatever sensors they're using to get to these higher resolutions. So well, they're using Bayer based, whereas mm-hmm. Blackmagic went with a non Bayer based. They went with a new RGBW type of basis sensor. Yep. So it has equal red, green, and blue pixels across the board, whereas most of the Bayer ones have two times the number of green pixels to like, so it's like, it's like one third green uh, I mean sorry two thirds green one third red and one third blue or whatever it is yeah it's kind of interesting do you think that from do you think there's gonna be much of a quality difference between the sensors 
with how black magic did it versus how they might do it with this or are you you're not really gonna be able to tell unless you like look in the fine details at this point i think you have doing it. to really look at it in fine details i mean it's really tough to say because again like if you're going with what black magic did essentially because of the way they did it, that's where they ended up with 12k uh, mm-hmm. which is still small pixels, but because you're getting the equal distribution and they're getting away with better dynamic range because they have that white pixel in there as well or that yep. you know that white portion which allows more for light luminance where with the traditional Bayer pattern, they're just jam-packing a lot of pixels. Yep. So does that... They didn't hint anything about dynamic range in there. So are we taking a reduction in dynamic range for all that pixel density? That's a very good question because that's not something that's really addressed in this patent um, at all. So and even, yeah, like you said, the dynamic range or what the bit rate potentially could be for something like this, I would assume that it's probably going to be close to like an R5 range of, well, I saw I ten bit in the article. I'm pretty sure I saw talking about ten bit for two, two for sure is going to be in there. Uh, yeah, I think from within this. Let me see if I can find that. But I will say, like, because raw light from Canon that we used on the Wild Man, uh, a couple of shots were shot with the C300 Mark III, and we did mm-hmm. shoot that with Canon raw light in 4k it was really easy to grade very malleable wonderful Mm -hmm. to work with so i didn't have a major issue with it now of course granted i'm also working on at that point i was working on a 2020 imac so you know of course you know with 64 gigs of ram like the 10 core processor (laughs) you know i had 16 gigs of video ram for my gpu so it's like you know let's face it i have a heavy-duty machine that can handle that. I do know some people talk about like, oh, we bring, you know, Canon RAW into, uh, what's it, Premiere or into Final Cut and it gets bogged down. Yeah, I, yeah, I've noticed that with some of the Canon. It's it's weird because like Black Magic to me, even though the file sizes are just massive, seem to work better than a lot of other companies' codecs and stuff inside, at least for me, because I, I primarily use Premiere Pro because that's what I'm I've kind of always used and I'm really good at. But I've noticed it's weird. Black Magic files work so much better with more with more stuff on them and more effects and all that stuff than even like a GoPro file does. So GoPros just make my, you know, the computer skip that I have built. But yeah, it should be interesting to see kind of what they do with this. I think some of the interesting points of this really are that dual, the dual pixel autofocus that they have. Um, that maybe you know, maybe copying some of the, if they, especially if they're using the, which it sounds like they're doing, is using the RF mounts in this, playing off of some of those new can, the new camera or new lens technology or new lenses that they've come up with the, yeah. the new releases, which is. Fascinating. They build the lenses, they build the mount, they build this camera, they, let's face it, it's just like we were talking about with Sony and E-mount, like with all their cameras, like they have the communication, they are building everything to communicate with itself, so of course the autofocus is going to work better. I don't really know how good the autofocus is on the RF side of the uh, 
Komodo or the Raptor from Red. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard a whole lot of high praises about it. So yep. I would say you- that likely Cannon's kind of throwing a huge cannonball across the Red's bow saying, look <laughs> at what we're going to do with our RF mount and our micro cameras. Yeah, I mean, it's a good good move by them. I mean, it, I have to say, as much as I don't, I'm not a, I like Canon for photography, not video so much, just personal preference. Like, if you film with Canon, nothing wrong with that. Personal preference, I just, I, I don't really love it. But I, I will say, their autofocus, I've always found their autofocus to be one of, one of if not the best in um what you can get as far as cameras especially with the the hybrid cameras between sony and canon canon just seems to have i don't know what it is with that even though they're behind on a lot of other things i feel like they are a step ahead still in the autofocus and what they're able to do with that so i think adding this to the the this box box cinema camera opens up a lot of things and do you think something like this could pull people away from black magic potentially Oh, absolutely. It's, I mean, yeah. listen, I love Black Magic. I think a lot of people felt betrayed with the lack of firmware updates with the So Mini Pro G2. A lot of people have yeah. felt burned by that price reduction on the 12K. And, you know, because Black Magic does these things without announcing and, you know, they're very tight lipped, they don't say whether they're bringing firmware updates to certain cameras like oh black magic or are you bringing that to the original or some mini 4.6k nothing you know what we're looking at we're looking at then they just released the g2 and it's like okay they're definitely not going to but they never outright say it and then with the g2 only one firm or maybe two firmware updates the last one was august of 2019 and like literally the 12k gets announced and then, okay, Gen 5 comes to the pockets. Is it coming to the G2? They're just silent. Well, you can shoot Blackmagic Raw and change it in post. So a lot of people are kind of going away already because of some of those other companies like Canon and Sony with what they're doing. I know a lot mm-hmm. of people are using the new Sony FX, wait, FX, yeah, the FX9 and FX6. Yep. So, yeah. I mean, Canon yeah. can win a lot of people. It's uh, yeah, and that's just what's fascinating. And maybe maybe Blackmagic has something to respond to it this year, or they're going to have to respond to it. And I agree, it's it's a little odd with that G two, with the Ursa G two, because it's such a great camera. Even though it's, I mean, what they released it in twenty nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's that old that they can't fix it. March seventh so was the announcement and release date of the g2 on 2019 so that's about almost three years in about less than a month and and i think i'm in our last podcast messed up the dates a little bit but nonetheless i double checked those dates recently (laughs) uh in terms of the g2 though here's the thing and i always will say this listen the fact that it hasn't needed any firmware updates because it doesn't have massive bugs it yep. works exactly as I intended it to when I bought it. You know, it has worked. That small firmware update did a small thing in tw- August of 2019. And then it's functioned for me for over now two and a half years perfectly. You know, 
Do I care that I didn't get firmware updates? I mean, a little bit. I would like some of the features they added, but it still yep. functions perfectly. It's my A camera no matter what. So, Oh, yeah. Ursa G2 is one of my favorite cameras. I mean, I even decided last year, thankfully, when I bought the camera to buy that one instead of the 12K before they'd done the price reduction. And they did the price reduction like four months after I bought the Ursa G2. So I would have been screwed. <laughs> and I would have been even more unhappy than I was um, with that price reduction, which even, you know, it's it's cool to have. Blackmagic is really cool with this. You know, we're talking about Canon still, but like it, the, the price reduction still is good because they're bringing us these like a 12K camera down to a $6,000 budget where you know this Canon this Canon box cinema camera is going to be probably north of $10,000. I would more assume. More than likely because like the C300 Mark III was like twelve fifty or something like that when it was introduced. Yep. I don't remember the exact price. I didn't buy it. I know someone who did and I've worked with – I actually know two people who did. I worked with both of their cameras. Now, I still have the complaints about Canon's stupid OS and menu system because <laughs> – it's a freaking pain in the ass. And with this camera, yeah. I really hope it's better, but I don't trust them to do better with that. You know, you, you, you gotta think it's not that hard to like, just pay. I mean, especially for like a company like Canon who, you know, granted they're not as big, like, but black magic isn't as big as them. And they, they seem to like know what they're doing with a menu system and develops one of the better menu systems. Like how hard is it to develop a menu system? That's like, easy to see and easy to flip through instead of just like the stuff that you get with, you know, how the cameras have generally been. So yeah, it would be interesting to see maybe if their menu system gets updated in this. And I think maybe that is the one thing with this that will be interesting is that price point. Cause already at the R5, I think the higher end R5 is already at $6,000, right? So the one they just announced the one that's the true photo uh, video hybrid is I think, yeah, like six and a half thousand or something ridiculous price like that. Which is crazy because you could buy it or, or like, well, if you're doing photography and video, I guess it's a good combo. But like if you're doing video, wouldn't you? I would rather get an Ursa G2. I just think you have better features. Oh, you yeah. have everything built into the camera already. So uh, with it, that being that, it's got to be, it, there's no way they price it similar to an R5, right? No, like, it's, gonna it's be going to be be it's going to be hands down 8k bare minimum price range i think like if if it's less than the they are trying to sell the mark 3 c300 still they and it's supposed to be small and like supplementary to you can shoot 4k 120 frames per second with that mark 3 so i would venture to say Eight thousand, nine thousand dollars. If it's sub ten thousand yeah. dollars, do you think that might be a problem? Considering that I would say Red Komodo is only about six thousand mm-hmm. dollars, right? So, yeah. do you think they do enough with this to compete with that price? Where would you? Ra- I mean, well, Red. I guess the thing with Canon is you're not running into all the you know, oh, you have to buy all the red stuff for it. You have to buy red storage for it and all the extra expenses that you get with it. Technically, but at the same time, guess what? The Komodo uses NEC Fast 2.0 cord. Yeah. Does it? 
Okay. That's what I was wondering if it no, had. No, it's um, the Raptor that they screwed everyone with. Well, Angel Bird is designing oh. our CF Express cards, and here, buy a 660-gigabyte red Angel Bird card for $950. Angel Bird has a two-terabyte for 900 and it's the same exact read-write speed, but it's just not read-approved. Yeah. Or, you know, you could just come over to Black Magic and a, a T5 card for, like, what, 120 bucks for a terabyte? Possibly. That so, price you know, might be going that. up because I just was reading about... Uh, some huge amount of exabytes worth of flash storage out of uh, uh, whatever the company was as being corrupted. Uh, uh, What was the company? Uh, Western Digital. Oh, really? It's being... They have a whole bunch of flash Hmm. memory like contaminated. So it's exabytes worth of... like It was some large number like 8.5 exabytes like 8.5 million terabytes, which means like, you know, eight exabytes. I can't remember the exact numbers, but yeah, I mean a big number, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, Oh, that's it. Yeah. It's just like, so hmm, that's interesting. If we start getting extra prices on that, it just feels like there's a shortage on everything nowadays. Well, it's it's um, the pandemic caused, you know, manufacturing problems. Yeah. You know, it just, it's been a cascading element. So, but you know, contaminated yeah. SSDs probably means like, yeah, mold or something got in there that someone yeah, messed up. It's yeah. something happened to hmm. some of these components were shipping on shipping containers for way too long and humidity or whatever caused problems. Yep. Yeah. I'm glad we're kind of like, it feels like we're finally starting to come out of the pandemic, hopefully at this point. Right. Cause it, it, it's felt like that before, but I feel like this time it, it maybe starting it to feel feels like, more like more it, maybe. but I'm also in Florida where let's face it, no one's acknowledged anything for the last two years. Oh, and I'm in South Carolina where it's like, COVID never happened here. That's what I always joke with everyone. Like, it's never yeah. happened. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, Canon's um, probably going to go with CF Express for this new camera, just like they did with the Mark III. Yeah. So that's going to give them those faster read-write speeds. Now, the question is whether or not that storage is also going to be affected by this, you know, whole new contamination thing. Yeah, that's hmm, be fascinating to see. Do you think that they released this this year? Because um, this, I mean, this came out, and I should have mentioned this before, but I believe this came out last year. Like, um, it was in like, oh yeah, here it is. In the patent application was published on July 29th, two thousand twenty-one, and it took people essentially six months to find the patent. So, is this something that maybe it's like a late year release, or maybe you think that they might be bringing to like and to the NAB? If they're going to be there, I'm not sure if Canon's going yeah, to be there. It's tough but. to say because you have to remember the like development cycles of some of these things. Like, remember, Red filed for patents in 2005 and didn't release. Like, actually, they had beta units in 2007 that like certain filmmakers were getting their hands on, and then the earliest filmmakers in 2007 were using them. And you saw the earliest movies in 2008. So, true. Canon, I would say. It's possible that they did file the patent and they had everything drawn up and ready to go so they could start building units so that maybe this year at NAB they're demoing it and then essentially that – and even if NAB is virtual again, but you know – 
they could demo and yeah let's let's hope it's yeah, not who knows it's tough to say but again they can demo yeah. and then moving on from there they can do early releases for early adopters for people who pre-order and then like ramp yeah. up manufacturing later in the year by like ibc time yeah and then give uh um, Peter McKinnon, the the test oh, model. Oh, absolutely. Right? YouTube is always. <laughs> let's face it. You, the reason you see every single time, like instant review videos from a whole bunch, they send it out. Like these YouTubers, they get these units for free. They review them, and then yep. And usually they get to keep them. And guess what they do? They let them sit in boxes if they don't really need them in their workflow. Yeah, no, I think I saw Peter McKinnon like last year make some kind of like a uh, minimalist video where he just like was getting rid of like just lens after lens and camera after camera. And it's like, yeah, that must be nice. But yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, this I think this is an interesting thing if Canon's really getting into this because in some of their financial reporting at the beginning of the year, their CEO said that they were really investing in the R5 stuff. So it's fascinating to see this come out of nowhere, kind of left field after that statement. And it's like, interesting. So they're also working on something else here in the background that they haven't really mentioned. That's not only going to shake up maybe, you know, like it's not just going to, they're not just going to stay in that, that, uh, that um, hybrid camera world, but they're actually moving against, I, I guess it's, it would seem like a shot at red, and maybe a shot at black magic kind of for that more affordable cinema. I mean, we'll see what it costs, right? But it can't, I mean, it's not going to be, it can't be that much more expensive. They have to, to look at particularly red and Akimoto because that is, but at the same time, if they're saying full frame, then it's the Raptor that they're aiming at. And the Raptor is like mm. 25 grand. So if they, do it for so, 10 grand yeah. or like up to like if they do it for 12 and a half grand then that shot's fired because that's oh for half the cost of a red you know raptor you get full frame you get all these features and you know it's you don't have to buy all this proprietary bs from red <laughs> i mean really though it's fascinating i mean Oh, you got to wonder what the angle is. Like, if is is it towards consumers or I? I really don't feel like it's more towards pro consumers, but it's more towards maybe that middle ground between film and like high end commercial it's, it's work. Linus I tech, would say completely. <laughs> he's just gonna go buy yeah, like eight yeah. of them, right? And, <laughs> you know, he's gonna basically go, "Oh, can you believe this? Who needs?" And he's gonna flip out and all that. But beyond that, though, no, I think it's going to be for. A lot of the corporate, like professional type of filmmakers who are doing yeah. like a lot of those type of gigs where like, let's face it, I watched a recent video of like someone going, hey, what, you know, here are the three cameras I own and, and why do I own the, and it was like a Sony FX9 and then a Komodo and a Ursa Mini Pro G2 and talking about like why he has each of the different cameras and let's like, like, this mm -hmm. Komodo is really for like a lot of these commercial type of things and like m maybe some music videos, but like then the G2, you know, it has better high frame rates. I'll use that for the commercials and the, you know, music videos. But then there's so many of these documentaries and whatever stuff of I'm being asked to shoot interviews and the FX9 is what they ask for. It's like literally like, hey, you know, 
this is the job posting. We're looking for this camera, and it's exactly this. That you know how often I've seen over the course of the last several years the FS7 from Sony being recommended as the camera that someone wants you to shoot for, like an interview. Huh, that is fascinating. I have not run into that yet, but that's. Would you use an FX9 over an Ursa G2 for a documentary? I mean, honestly, I wouldn't give a crap. They both produce similar images. I have kind of my too, so like <laughs> you know, I'd use the camera that I have. As far as the Sony yep. FX9, I know it has better autofocus. That is for sure, especially when you're using the E mount lenses, which comes in really hand, like really handy yes, when you're doing. If you don't want to so. make those micro adjustments <laughs> because you want, say, you want to be shooting uh, like an eighty millimeter lens very tight on someone and you want to shoot at f2 because you want that nice out of focus background which okay fine you know i personally love to see the background i like to see the environment they are in but i mean yep yeah you then have the autofocus and you can just sit back and like yeah as long as they're not wearing glasses right i feel like sony still has the issue with their (laughs) autofocus just like canon does with glasses glasses has trouble Glasses give you trouble with eye tracking autofocus. Yep. I mean, that's fascinating. I wonder if they're ever going to be able to fix that at some point. Probably I mean, not. But I already have enough issue when I'm doing interviews and trying to do my lighting and someone's wearing glasses and I'm like, hey, crap. They keep looking up when I was lighting them. They weren't supposed to be looking there. I didn't know because they get very targeted with the heads and they're moving in the bound and there's my light yep. showing up and it's like, hey, damn, I need to now adjust those lights. <laughs> See, thankfully, I already wear glasses, so I already have so much practice on, like, lighting for myself and all this stuff that by the time I get there, I'm like, oh, I know what to do I mean, because, you know. I used to wear <laughs> so glasses to myself, it. and I dealt with it enough, but, like, so I added that. It's annoying. I it's it, really annoying. I had annoying. a B-camera guy going, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Like, it's too much, like, two-faced with the lighting, like, where I had one light position. And I'm like, fine, I'll move it over and go a little bit more uh, three-quarters. And instantly, like, the next person was, because we were shooting multiple people in the same location, next person was wearing glasses, and it's like, boom. But, the, you know, it's like, if I had kept the light where it was, the key light, it would have been fine. <laughs> Oh, it's always fun. Um, let me see here. So I think maybe wrapping this this up here with some of the stuff, super fascinating with this box camera thing. What do you think um, is the primary benefits to a box style cinema camera? And I did do a poll here recently on my channel with the community. I had over, I think it was three or 400 people vote on. I have the numbers here. Um, and I asked them like, why do you want a Komodo box style black magic camera? Um, Cause most of my, you know, people watching are black magic. Um, the highest one was, was rigging. They think it's easier to build around at 53% form factor, you know, like putting it on a, a gimbal or putting it on like a FPV drone or something like that was at 32%. And then coming at last was optics at 8% where they think it's easier for, to look more professional and easier to get a job with uh, some I'm going to go right against um, the rigging one because you have to basically put it in a cage. It, it You do more rigging. Mm-hmm. You have to put a lot more on it to build it out. Whereas like those are many pro, yep. I, I have the battery mount already on there. So I just throw a battery on, I throw a lens, 
I'm able to start yep. shooting. Yeah. And then like, you know, if I have the shoulder mount, I keep the shoulder mount on it usually. So I just put the rods in there, put my follow focus and my map box on and like it's, it's rigged a hell of a lot easier. Um, I think really the yep. reason people want the boxes is the gimbals. Really, they just want that lower profile, like lighter type of camera that you can just throw on a gimbal and like, you know, again, like drones. And I, I think, and you know, for B camera and like smaller profile, like fitting it in tighter little places. Yeah, that's where it's useful. But like as a B camera or a C camera, I don't see it necessarily as pivotal to be the A camera. I think the A camera should still remain that slightly bigger, you know, you know, notice the Mini Pro is not that massive, just like the Lux Mini is not. Which people make it out to be like, I hear people all the time complain about how like, oh, it's so unwieldy. It's so hard to uh, like, uh, to be honest, it, I've always found it incredibly easy, very to, easy use. to use, but it's just heavier you, than a yeah. lot. It can't. Cannons oh, are light. Like, Sony's uh, are light. So, but you know, yep. I would say it weighs about the same as an Alexa Mini. Yep. And I mean, that's why I, after, as soon as I got it, I, I picked it up and I'm like, immediately knew I have to get an easy rig or a fly cam or something like that. And that's essentially what I just use with it. Just hold the weight off on my back when I'm doing more documentary style work and that kind of stuff. But I mean, you can in a pinch, still kind of hold it up against your body if you have kind of that like arm extender for it and just kind of like I, use I will it like oftentimes that, but, get it right yeah. into my kind of like uh, uh, under armpit area using the viewfinder as my third point and, you know, I can get it nice and tight in me that I can do without an easy rig. And then I have it shoulder rigged often and it still works great shoulder rigged. An easy rig makes everything a lot easier for sure. But then I live with it on, like, I just replaced my slider, so I was happy to do that because mm -hmm. I live it on a slider if I want good motion, and then I have my steady cam. So, I mean, it's not that bad, yeah. and weight-wise, it balances really well on a steady cam. So... Yeah, which which do you think that uh, like this box style one would a little bit more too? I mean, what if they what if, what if someone what if Canon or Blackmagic came out with this box and it's modular and literally designed a bunch of stuff to be like super easy to attach to it, super easy to reconfigure, like and then they could play it to a bunch of different markets and sell a bunch of accessories. I mean, it'll go with on it. lighter weight, maybe that's for point. sure, and uh, gimbals, hands down, yeah. gimbals are where it will shine. That's where I know for sure. Uh, yeah. As for the steady cam, though, I'll be honest. I do. I've tried flying the old Canon C three hundred Mark two and the Mark three on it, and it mm -hmm. helped when you added more weight because that camera was so light yep. that it was like, okay, you need to get a yeah. You need bouncing to bouncing around. Yeah, absolutely. You need <laughs> to get the shoulder rig onto it so you can have it then connect to a VCT fourteen tripod adapter plate, which is nice because that adds an extra bit of weight. And then you know, you want to have this extra, you know, so you throw extra weight up there because otherwise it's so light that like you see more micro movements. And 
with the yep. way the G2 is or an Alexa Mini is, you get it onto a Steadicam and it, and you know, like the heavier duty Steadicams that the professionals are using were meant for film cameras. And let's face it, look at how smooth that stuff looked. You throw like a DSLR mm-hmm. on a Steadicam. I remember, I forget, 2012 using a 5D, I think it was. And I was like, I can't do this. This is a pain in the ass. It's it it, it sees everything <laughs> I do because it's so freaking light. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, this it's it's so fascinating this year with the. Uh, I mean, I to a point understand it, but just this like all of a sudden out of nowhere. Uh, maybe it's not out of nowhere because I feel like the box cinema camera want has been around for maybe a couple years now, but it really feels like it's coming to a fever pitch in 2022 for some reason where like everyone's starting Again, to make Magic one of these. Black Magic was one of the first so, with their micros. Yeah. And that's very true. Z-cam very true. is essentially only that. And then you had the Mavic Pro, was a Mavic Pro, uh, I think so. And then you had also the Kinetify, Kinev, whatever that other one, that it was a Chinese company, Kinefiti, mm-hmm. Ari has one too, right? Like they have a similar well, like, sort Alexa of box Mini, style. Basically. That's real. Yeah. That, that's the that's ironic still, thing yeah. though. That, And I know I had this conversation with someone recently about the fact that Alexa designed that to be a gimbal based type of thing. And it was meant to be, you know, but then all these people just started using it as their main camera. And it be, and it basically was this aspect <laughs> of like, Ari kind of was like, but that's not why we designed it. Like, and then they came out with that. LF and like the big <laughs> LF camera was again like you know obviously so that they could be at 4K for but then they had to come out with the LF mini and again like mm-hmm. they do you still see like this Alexa 65 and the LF like the big LF being the A camera and then the LF mini being used as kind of the B camera and like especially with you look at 1917 that's where with all the movement that they were doing that's where the yep, mini yep. was so pivotal. And they basically, I think, beta tested on that movie, the left mini. But yeah, fascinating. <laughs> it's interesting. Everyone's kind of moving to that modular design now. Uh, like, and, and people are using it in a way like they're not expecting to as like full on like their A cams. Do you think, I guess, as we wrap up here, <laughs> what are, what's kind of your prediction for this? Do you think Black Magic? at this point responds to it or do you think that this is kind of like it's good they're gonna they're a little bit behind now and they're gonna have to do some catching up to try to catch up to some of this or are they just on a completely different path and they don't really care what anyone else on the market's doing well for black magic particularly i think the mixture of all three of those things one they're doing their own thing but you know because they have the komodos they have the studio camera or the broadcast cameras Mm -hmm. and studio type of stuff uh but then they have the some minis but they have the micros i think they're going to update that like we talked about last time and then of course everyone's been asking them on the forum since like the komodo was introduced in 2020 for them to do this box style camera so i think black magic's gonna follow suit they just you never hear what they're gonna do until they announce it and then Canon, though, this patent has gone out, yes. 
they're going to do their thing. They still have the, they still have the big Canon C five hundred. They still have the C three hundred. They have yep. those other cameras, and they still have their still photography mirrorless cameras. And they have that new hybrid five or five C, which they're going to still do stuff there. And I think they're probably going to come out with some more mirrorless cameras this year for the still photography realm. You have Sony who. I think Sony's the one that's kind of like really going to be the one that's in behind everyone else with this box style camera because it doesn't look like they're going that route. I think Blackmagic will come out with no. their redesigned micro first, which will be more in competition mm-hmm. to Komodo and this new Canon camera, but not so much Sony. Sony's yeah. the one who's going to probably be left behind. Which is interesting. Which maybe they're maybe they're okay with that. Maybe this isn't something that they're really looking about because they're the one company at this point. You just haven't heard anything about any rumors about it. But who knows? It's the year is still brand new. Well, you know who else is going to come in here and and play part in this? Like as I'm calling it at this point, the box but, cinema camera war, the great war of the box cinema camera. Because I <laughs> I do keep seeing Z cam oh, yeah. stuff. Like I know some guys with Z cam right down here in Florida. And, you know, it's used and people love it. They have their Micro Four Thirds version. They have their Super 35 version and then they have their full frame version. So they have, and full frame 6K, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm not sure if they have 8K, but they definitely have full frame at 6K and then they have Super 35 at 6K for that Z cam. So they already have a certain foothold because they're already doing box style yeah it's uh, it's fascinating i just feel like this year is really shaping up to be after all we've dealt you know had to deal with with the pandemic of just a bunch of stuff being pushed back it feels like we're finally starting to get back to the point where we're going to have some like crazy camera releases and this year feels like a lot of stuff's coming out. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what box cinema cameras come out from which company, because it just feels like it's coming from every corner of the industry at this point. But uh, yeah, so yeah, thanks, Tim, for hanging out with me and talking about this on short notice. It's fascinating subject, and I'm really excited to see what's happening. But, um, you know, if you like this podcast, be sure to follow us. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, all the different places. So be sure to give us a like or uh, i guess it's star rating in podcasts at this point right i've done youtube too much so give us a five star rating to help us move like up subscribe comment ranking, but... all the jazz <laughs>